Hello again. My name is Terry Vanderhorst, and this is Russell Gets Revenge, the audio record of my friend Russell and his quest for vengeance. Russell Gets Revenge, an eight-episode series about justice, revenge, and jalapeno poppers. Written and created by Peter Hoffman Kimball. Produced by Peter Hoffman Kimball and Josh Callahan. As a content warning, the series does deal with issues of death, grief, and violence. Before we get into the show, we wanted to take a moment to thank you, the listeners. We've been overwhelmed by the response to our little show with listeners in over two dozen countries from all around the world. We're honored that you lend us a little of your valuable time, and we would love to hear from you. You can always email us at terry at don'tmattermedia.com. And remember, that's don'tmattermedia with no apostrophe. This week, we've got emails from a few listeners, including one from Karen Whittington of Melbourne, Australia, who writes, love the show. It's just my kind of dark humor. Well, thank you, Karen. That's so nice of you. And we hope we keep the laughs coming. Uh, we also hear from Jeremy Hillcomb of Dunedin, New Zealand, who writes, love the show, had me laughing out loud. Not sure everyone will, fi- will feel the same way, but I sure like it. And you know what, Jeremy? Thank you for your kind words and your candor. <laughs> and, and honestly, I think we actually feel the same way. This probably isn't for everyone, and that's okay. That's not really what we're going for with this show. We just care about making something for our community of listeners and not watering it down for a big general audience for everybody. So please keep listening, subscribe, tell a friend, write a review, because we don't care what the whole world thinks. We just care about you. And write in to terry at don'tmattermedia.com. Tell us what you think uh, and, and potentially to have your email featured on the next episode. But for now, let's get to our show. Russell Gets Revenge, Episode 2, Hollow Poppers and All the Other Small Things. I just need to say, for the record, that I never wanted to be in this position. It was not a foregone conclusion that I was going to seek vengeance. I I mean, I would have loved to just go back to life as normal. And a lot of people close to you thought that would have been a better idea. Frankly, I find this whole enterprise problematic and troubling. This is Sharon, Carrie's sister. She's a therapeutic audiologist in Durham, North Carolina. I don't think this is coming from a place of love for her. It's his own macho fantasy of the avenging husband. He's he's playing the cowboy in the white hat. That's what this is. But isn't wanting to avenge her a way of honoring her? It doesn't really have anything to do with her. Either A, he thinks this is a fun excuse to pretend he's Bruce Willis or Liam Neeson or whoever and just play out this revenge storyline in which he gets to be the hero. Right. Avenging Angel Fantasy Camp. I don't think that's fair at all. Or B, he's doing this out of grief and this deep feeling of loss. He's lost the thing he loves most in this world. Right, exactly. But that's just it. It's not really engaging with the idea of Carrie as a person. It's treating her like a piece of property that one man took from another man. He's only really engaging with the other man, not with Carrie. Wow. Okay, okay. Quite a damning attack on a grieving widower. I'm not here to attack him. I saw them together. I've spoken to him before and after our death. I know that he loved her. Okay, so this isn't just some macho fantasy. He is going to grieve how he's going to grieve, just like I've been grieving. Just like I have spent nights crying myself to sleep missing her and hours scrolling through old pictures of us, I don't blame him for having a different response than me. Good. Yeah. But I do blame you, Terry. Oh, okay. You're encouraging him. You're glorifying this. It isn't a good example for society, and it's not good for him. Mm, I take issue with that. If he's going to go looking for revenge, then so be it. But I don't know why you need to document it. Well, he asked me to. (laughs) 
And you're being a good friend by doing what he asks. Yes, absolutely. And also by talking to as many people as possible, editing it down, trying to craft it into as entertaining a show as... So not everyone was supportive of Russell's search for vengeance, but let's move on. Look, when I came back from Germany, we had a funeral. There was lots of crying, lots of sympathy, and it, it meant a lot, but also, like, it kind of didn't. I didn't know what to say to him. I mean... How can you? This is Russell's brother, Kevin. He's an economic consultant in Arlington, Virginia. I flew out to Germany to help him get things settled, get back to the States. And it's like, you're trying to be helpful, but you're also just so sad yourself. Kevin was pretty sad. I just remember standing there with him, trying to support him, but not knowing what to do. What are you supposed to say, right? Like, so you hug him and you cry and you say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. What else can you say? Literally anything else. Please, seriously, it, anything else. Why? Well, it's it's just the worst thing, and everybody does it. I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. But it's like you get someone crying, you're saying, I'm sorry, and then I have to be like consoling them, you know? All oh, it's like, oh, it's okay, it's all right. And so then I'm letting them cry into my shoulder, and I'm patting them on the back saying it's all right. You know, I'm comforting them. Right? I don't want to be saying it's all right. I didn't ever want to talk about the whole thing. You know, it's a tragedy. Let's get his mind off it. This is David Zandi, a high school friend of Russell's, formerly a Sunoco station attendant, currently in between jobs. I tried to bring in some levity, you know, get him to smile, tell some jokes, look for a silver lining. But man, is it hard to get a guy to laugh when his wife has just been murdered? I can imagine. I mean, I was bringing out my top stuff, Polish jokes, the Chinese stuff. I, I mean, double entendre puns about sex. I got the best sex stuff. I mean, my top stuff. And I got nothing. No laughs. Like, come on, man. I'm dying here. That sounds terrible for you. I tried to lighten things up, too. I mean, actually, you know, Russell and I used to joke, like, you better hope she doesn't die before you because she's going to be dating up a storm in heaven. And he'd be like, no, that's not how heaven works. She'd just be up there waiting for him. And I was like, yeah, but she might wait for you, but don't think she's not going to, like, be getting some booty calls in while she does. I mean, it's heaven. Carrie Grant's up there, Steve McQueen, Lee Marvin. <laughs> She's got a lot of options. Yeah, I never liked that joke. Even less so after her death. It's not like I said that to him after her death. I don't want you to get the wrong impression. I would never joke about that now. Not now that. I mean, how could I have known this was going to happen? Women are supposed to live longer than men. That's just a statistical fact. Yeah. No, Kevin was a good support. I mean, he was there for me. You know, someone for me to talk to. Uh, and he he did his best to cheer me up. We go out to the movies, go to dinner. And I remember I remember um, the night that I really thought things were getting better. What happened that night? I pick him up from work. We went to dinner and we're actually having a good time. Laughing, talking about all the normal things guys talk about. You know, like baseball cars, the Tonys. And then we're looking at the menu and the waiter comes over and Russell says... How about some jalapeno poppers? Jalapeno poppers? Jalapeno poppers. I mean, if you're still buried in grief, all hopelessness and despairing, you don't order jalapeno poppers. You just don't. And so that was the turning point? Well, I thought so. Nope. That was not a turning point. That was a plate of jalapeno poppers. I mean, even at your very lowest, you can still appreciate a nice plate of jalapeno poppers before your entree. I mean, they're delicious. You know, they're spicy, wrapped in bacon, they're sweet, but they don't fix everything. 
Look, here at Russell Gets Revenge, we know how important good writing is. So much of what we love in entertainment comes down to the writing. And I'm not talking about writing dialogue or characters. I'm not talking about story structure or elegant prose or heart-rending lyrical verse. Those things are important, sure. But no, I'm talking about writing. Like writing. Physically, tangibly writing. And there's really only one place you go when you need to write. And that's Ticonderoga. Ticonderoga number two pencils the only writing instrument that a civilized person would ever consider using. Ticonderoga number two pencil, because only a fool would use a pen, and only a psychopathic monster would ever use a number three pencil. Ticonderoga number two, because you're a writer, not a monster. Find out more at, oh, oh, you know what? Um, you, j- just go to russellgetsrevenge.com. You'll find out everything you need to know there. And now, back to our show. Ever since Russell got back from Germany, and especially after the funeral, we've just been so broken up about everything. Uh, We felt responsible in some way. This is Nick and Muriel, Russell and Carrie's good friends who had first recommended vacationing in Germany. And then a few months ago, we'd heard a rumor that he was flirting with this idea of getting vengeance. But we knew that wasn't the right way to go. Not if you don't have to. Exactly. You don't get revenge on someone unless you really, really have to. Anyway, we thought maybe he needed help moving on, like finding someone new. Not as a replacement, but... Obviously. But his life wasn't over. He still got his hair. And we knew a great girl, a great girl, <laughs> Jocelyn. I mean, I, I was I was up for it, I guess. I, I didn't really think it would amount to much, but, you know, why not? I, I'm going on a date, right? Go out to dinner. And they told me a little bit about her, and they showed me a picture. She's a stunner. Absolutely. A 10. In D.C. Right. In Washington, D.C. A 7 in L.A. Sure. In L.A. But we live in D.C. And she's like a 9 when it comes to intelligence. A D.C. 9, which would be an L.A. 14. I mean, she went to Middlebury. So, Russell, was there a lot of anxiety around going on her first date after Carrie? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, you know, I didn't think of it as like, some momentous thing. It's not like this was my quest for love or, or, or something. You know, it just seemed like a fun thing to try out. A nice dinner with a smart, attractive woman. Very impressive woman. Super bright. Went to one of the best colleges in Vermont. She studied Russian. So how did it go? It was great. Fantastic. Uh, I mean, the, the prep for the date, the, the getting ready for it, uh, it really woke me up. I mean, for the first time, I wasn't thinking about what happened with Carrie. I was thinking about, oh, I, I gained a lot of weight and I haven't really been taking care of myself. And, oh, I don't know what I'm going to say. It was depressing and scary, but it was also kind of invigorating. Oh, uh, how much weight had you gained? Um, do we really have to get into that? You brought it up. Yeah, I guess I did. Okay. Well, uh, like more than 10, less than 100. Let's say that, okay, and just move on. So having gained almost 100 pounds, Russell prepared for his date with Jocelyn, his friend's attempt to set him up on the path to love again. Or at least distract him from the need to kill a guy. That again is Kevin, Russell's brother. When I heard he was going on a date, I was definitely pulling for him, but 
it was stressful. Like usually when you go out with a woman, a man's life isn't quite literally on the line. You thought if this went well, it might change his mind about seeking revenge? The love of a good woman can change a man's mind. And even if she's not that great, and even if it's not love still, I mean, at least distract him for a little. I mean, getting laid never hurt anyone, right? Well... I mean, of course, except for the disease and the unintended pregnancies and questions of consensuality and infidelity. And yeah, but but I mean, in this case, I think it would have, I think it would have worked out. But how did the date go? That's really the question. And for that, I have here with me, Jocelyn Bellacourt. Yes. Hi. Thanks for speaking to me and congrats on going to Middlebury. So how did the date itself go? It started fine. He was nice and pleasant and he didn't look that much heavier than the photo I saw. We had some small talk, got seated for dinner and he asked how I liked the current weather. And then I... I I, I thought it was just going to be small talk. What did you say? I asked him what kind of music he liked. She asked him what kind of music he liked. She asked me what kind of music I liked. I'd been prepped on what had happened to his wife, so I thought I'd keep it light. I thought we were just chit-chatting, but I didn't expect. I just talked about Blink-182 for 45 whole minutes. Blink-182, the late 90s pop punk band? Yep. That Blink-182 for 45 minutes. Four, five. And I don't know why. I don't I I guess I was trying so hard not to talk about Carrie and death and murder and the darkness that surrounds me every day. And so I mean I I only stopped because the restaurant was closing. Forty five minutes. Just nonstop. A a, a a discourse. A lecture on the early days. Damn it. What's my age again? Tom's obsession with aliens. Uh, h- how Mark and Tom were always um, self-conscious about what a better musician Travis was than them. He kept mentioning this Spin Magazine interview. So they're all asked the hardest thing about being in the band, you know, in this Spin Magazine interview. And Travis, the drummer... Travis says, being on the road so much, you know, band life. But then both Tom and Mark say, they both say, going on stage every night, knowing you're not as good a musician as your bandmate, not as good a musician as Travis. (laughs) Something about that always just struck me. I don't know what's wrong with him. That guy, I mean, I do. His wife was murdered, but still... Come on, dude. I don't know what it was. Why I kept talking about Blink-182 for so long. I mean, I think I just started trying to avoid talking about anything too serious. And no one's ever accused Blink-182 of being too serious. Well, some critics did bring that up in the Miss You era, that they had taken too serious a turn. But I, I know that's not what you mean. No, that's not what I mean. But then I think I just got to thinking about poor Mark and Tom out there on stage. Um, Mark Hoppus and Tom DeLong. They're out there on stage and they're every night, knowing that they were missing something. That no matter how hard they tried and no matter how much they wanted to just go out there and play and live their lives, there was still something missing, something absent that made all the difference. And in their case, it was the absence of skilled musicianship. Right. And in my case, you know, no matter how much I try to just go on, live my life, Even if there are fun things to do, interesting people to meet, and there's still something missing that I can't ignore. And so the only option is to face that head on. I knew after that dinner that I was never going to be able to live my life if I didn't get vengeance first. The only way I can move on 
is by writing that wrong, by making that man pay for what he did. And that's what I swear I'm going to do. And I guess for me, that dinner convinced me that maybe I should go back to Tinder. I mean, it's definitely not great, but when your friends hook you up with a widower still in love with his dead wife, actively hunting down the man who killed her, and I I just have to say, weirdly obsessed with late 90s pop punk, it's like, how could Tinder possibly be worse? So on that note, we'll finish for this week. But join us next week when Russell dives into the hunt for the man who murdered his wife. Russell Gets Revenge, written and created by Peter Hoffman Kimball. This episode starring Josh Callahan, Jillian Bellinger, Piper Gillen, Jameson Scala, Michael Klumkowski, Nick Casolini, Muriel Montgomery, and Peter Hoffman Kimball. A Don't Matter Media production. Find out more at russellgetsrevenge.com. Hey, if you enjoy this show, make sure you subscribe, write a review, and tell a friend. And... Yeah, we know telling a friend isn't quite as easy as it used to be in normal times. We're all hunkered down in our own little bubbles of social distance and quarantine. But, so you know, look us up on Facebook or Twitter, uh, tag a friend, text everyone you know uh, to tell them about the show. Or, or if you're daring, if you're daring, make the small one-time investment in a full hazmat suit, go to your friend's house, knock. And they pull out poster boards like in Love Actually, you know, uh, on each one. You know, you have different words written. I am listening to a new fiction podcast. You should check it out. What's a fiction podcast? That's a good question. You know, you might run out of poster board. But anyway, it's just an idea. Anyway, we'll see you next week on Russell Gets Revenge.